Lost Apostle, a good omens podfic, written by Mira Voros and read by Job. Summary After a long hiatus, Crowley batches Aziraphale to go on a road trip with him. But it's more a quest than a road trip, and both Crowley and Aziraphale may be getting into more than they bargained for. Bentley POV Wednesday before Christmas, 2022 CE. Get in, Angel. The Bentley, slowed to a casual cruising speed to match the current rate of ambulation of one fastidious ethereal entity. Its favorite ethereal entity, to be exact. Though, to be fair, there had only ever been one ethereal entity allowed to enter the Bentley so it hadn't much to compare him with. And a good day to you, Crowley. Pleasant weather we're having. The angel continued to stroll, so the Bentley continued to follow a pace, wondering what its driver was in a tizzy about this time. It could feel the ambient heat from the demon increasing, which generally meant that he was riling himself up into a spiky, chestnut burr of anxiety. Only the angel ever seemed able to calm the demon when he got like this, unless the angel was the cause of the problem. Come on, angel, I need a favor. Do you? The angel responded with a raised eyebrow. I suppose you expect me to be at your disposal, whatever my prior plans might have been. At least hear me out. You'll like this one. The angel sniffed and adjusted his coat as he walked. I seem to recall that the last favor you asked for led to the end of the world. You'll forgive me if I'm not exactly keen to hear you out, as you say. The demon slammed his foot on the brake, or would have done had there been an actual paddle. The Bentley knew what it was supposed to do regardless, so it stopped, letting the demon bulge out of its interior and into the street to catch up to one snippy angel. What's got into you? the demon groused. The Bentley would have rolled its eyes if it had any. The demon really could be awfully dense. I've not bothered you for a couple of months, and I show up asking for one tiny thing, and you won't at least listen? The angel turned abruptly on his heel, back rigid, expression stern. A couple of months, the angel said in a tone that should surely clue the demon in that he'd somehow set a foot wrong, even if he hadn't yet caught on as to the how. The Bentley could have told him. The Bentley had tried to tell him many times, played good old-fashioned lover boy on an endless loop for over a month. But when one's only language was lyrics through a radio speaker, it was unfortunately easy for one's intended conversational target to tune one out. A couple of months, 
The angel said again. Try a couple of years, Crowley. Not a peep from you since the rats. The rats? The rats? Surely I've come around since the rats. Surely I'd remember if you had, the angel said. Then he wilted a little, dropping his gaze. I suppose that since our respective employees have no further use for us, and the world is not currently hurtling towards some calamity, there is no longer a need to continue our acquaintance, but... Look, I... Well, never mind. The angel shot himself up. I am terribly busy, you know. You can't just burst through the door and demand my attention whenever you want it. What door? I didn't burst through any... I meant a proverbial door, Crowley. Now, if you don't mind... The angel turned to march off, and I, and the Bentley started mapping cut-off routes between their current location and the bookshop. There was no way it was letting the angel leave it with an even more perturbed demon to deal with all on its own. A vintage automobile could only be expected to do so much, luxury sports coupe or not. But, as it happened, the demon managed to pull his head out of his arse enough to salvage the situation, much to the Bentley's relief. Angel, stop! Wait, look, I'm an idiot. Got it in my head, you wanted a break. I just... Can we start over? Pretend you still like me for five minutes while I explain. The angel huffed and crossed his arms, but he stopped. I don't like you. You do, the demon said smoothly, sliding closer to the angel, sliding a careful arm around the angel's stiff shoulders. And you'll like me even more once I tell you where we're going. Doubtful, the angel muttered with a sour look up at the demon. It's about a book, you see, he said, sounding slightly wheeling to the Bentley so called ears. A book? Yes, a book. Nothing to do with prophecies, I hope. Not at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Crowley, what on earth is the opposite of a prophecy? I have better things to do than play verbal games with you. It's an historical account of... Look, get in the car and I'll explain as we drive. For a carburetor-choking moment, the Bentley thought the angel was going to shove the demon off with a cutting remark and stalk away. But then his expression softened, his shoulders slumped, and he relented. In a tick, both angel and demon were settled into their accustomed seats, and the air was a fair amount clearer between them. What is this about a book, then? The angel asked with a sigh, clutching his satchel in his lap as if it were about to go flying out the window. The Bentley secretly loved keeping the angel a little on edge while he was riding with them. It tickled the Bentley whenever it managed to elicit an anxious squeal from the angel 
while rounding a curve, or cutting off a boring mundane car, or driving over the pavements. Its latest experiment in frightening the angel involved speeding down alleyways that were clearly too narrow for it. Remember the whole Nazareth thing? the demon asked. The whole Nazareth thing? the angel repeated, sounding bemused. Which Nazareth thing? What do you mean, which Nazareth thing? The Nazareth thing, angel, the big one. The ministry of Christ, the angel scoffed. Yes, Crowley, I remember it. I'd be hard-pressed not to. Entire religions were generated from it. The demon took one hand from the Bentley's wheel to rub the back of his neck, a sheepish expression on his face. Yes, well, the religion might not tell the whole story. Not exactly. Crowley, the angel gasped. What did you do? Nothing, the demon prevaricated unconvincingly. Well, it wasn't all my fault. In any case, that's what we're off to do. Road trip style. You, me, and the Bentley. Road trip to where? To do what precisely? Still working that part out, to be honest, as I'm not quite sure where the blasted book ended up, but I've got a couple of leads to... Crowley, where are we going? Budapest. Budapest? Why do you keep repeating everything I say? Why do you keep saying inexplicable things? I'm trying to tell you. You haven't told me anything. What books are you even referring to? The Gospel. The angel pinched the bridge of his nose. Which Gospel? The demon paused, tapping his fingers on the dash in agitation. Then he grumbled something so softly that even the Bentley couldn't hear him. What was that, dear? I'm pretty sure a church mouse might have answered louder than that. I said, my gospel. The angel stood in surprise, then turned to face forward. After a few moments of thoughtful silence, he moved his satchel to the floor near his feet and clasped his hands in his lap. Then he said, I... Think you'd better start from the beginning, dear boy. Monday, thirty-two C. Bollocks! Fuck shit! Blast it all to heaven! It was early morning on the miserable excuse for a molehill that was the Mount of Olives and Crowley's hands were bound in front of him. He could easily have miracled himself free, of course, but that would only add exponentially to the cock-up. He knew he should never have trusted that bonehead Barnabas. Up ahead, he saw the group of acolytes hanging out by a well, listening to whatever drivel fell out of the Nazarene numpty's mouth. 
This was, categorically, not how this was supposed to go. Beelzebub was going to holy water him if he let himself get discorporated. But the bloody Pharisee pushing him forward would surely notice if he suddenly disappeared or turned into a giant bloody snake and slithered off. Satan's sake, he was fucked. Master, the leader of the Pharisees, Michael sneered, with obvious disdain for the man preaching at the well. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law commands that she should be stoned. What do you say? At Michael's signal, the goon manhandling Crowley pushed him forward. Crowley stumbled to one knee ten feet from the Nazarene. Some of the Pharisee mob behind Crowley snickered at his unintentional show of obeisance. Bastards, all of you. His plan had completely backfired, though at the time it had seemed like a clever idea. Get the foolish Pharisees to do all the work for him. Crowley had approached Barnabas in a public house, manipulated him into bitching about the would-be prophet from fucking Galilee of all places. Bloody upstart, who did he think he was, acting all high and mighty like he was the son of God himself? Sprinkled in a little speculation about how brilliant it would be if someone could force the Nazarene into an impossible choice. Show him up for the big talker, small actor that he was. Break his cultish influence with the masses. Look, it'd be easy, Crowley had said, letting his forked tongue powers of persuasion weave a love for Barnabas. I'll convince a man of questionable morality to attempt adultery. Then you can nap him just before he commits the act, presents him to the charlatan, and force him to agree to stoning the man. For is that not the law? The Nazarene will have no choice but to throw the first stone himself. Barnabas had agreed willingly enough, and the plan had been hatched. Crowley would appear as a woman to tempt their Patsy Hezekiah into sin. Not that Crowley actually had any intention of sleeping with the man. Hezekiah just had to show up and start disrobing, and Barnabas would leap out of the shadows and accuse him. Then the so-called Lamb of God would either agree to stone the man and lose all credibility as a peace-loving, forgiveness-preaching goody-two-shoes with his followers. Or he would refuse and be in violation of the law himself, giving the Pharisees another knot in the noose to hang him. Either way, Crowley would have accomplished his mission, neutralizing the spread of her gospel of peace and love and forgiveness among the humans. It was the perfect plan, except Barnabas, or more likely Michael, had grown suspicious of Crowley. Even now, Crowley wasn't sure if Michael knew who and what he truly was, or if he was just a complete misogynist. 
whatever it was, Crowley now found himself in the regrettable position of being the victim of his own nefarious plot. When the silence finally grew beyond the shock of surprise to the merely uncomfortable, and no stone flew at Crowley's head, Crowley cracked an eye open to look at the Nazarene. The man, notably, was not looking at Crowley. Instead, he was drawing something in the dirt on the ground in front of him. What do you say, master? Michael said. Where are all your fine words of forgiveness now? The evidence against this woman is beyond dispute. The man continued drawing in the dirt in silence, not even acknowledging Michael or the other Pharisees. But he was communicating with Crowley. Crowley just hadn't noticed right away. It wasn't until he looked closer at the drawings the man was making in the dirt that Crowley began to truly fear. Moses' law is clear. If you are, as you claim, a teacher of God's words, then you must fulfill his law. Michael sounded like he was ready to pick up a stone and hurl it at the Nazarene in his frustration at the man's silence. But at this point, Crowley hoped he'd just give up the sodding plan and stone Crowley instead. It would be better than whatever the Nazarene was about to do to him. Because in the dirt, he'd drawn a tree. And beside the tree, he'd drawn an apple. Which meant the Nazarene knew who Crowley was. And that meant he absolutely was who he said he was, which scared Crowley far more than the silly humans. It even scared him more than holy water. The only thing that scared Crowley as much as the literal Son of God, knowing who he was, was facing down Lucifer himself. Crowley didn't know what the Son of God was capable of doing to a demon, but the last thing he wanted was to find out. Finally, the man looked up, catching Crowley's gaze, as if he could tell that Crowley had at last grasped the full ramifications of the shit he was in. But the man's eyes held no trace of recrimination, no righteous fury, not even a hint of disgust. Only a sorrow so deep that Crowley thought he might drown in it. Well, Michel pushed again, now all but spitting in his rage. You must condemn her or condemn yourself. The Nazarene raised his eyes from Crowley's then and stared Michel down, not a whit intimidated. He shifted his gaze from one Pharisee to the other until he had connected with each and every one. Then he said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Michael gasped as if punched in the solar plexus. Crowley could see his eyes widen in the shock of realization that his trap had been neatly shone through. 
He could not admit to being sinless. None of them could. The trap itself had been a sin. And if Mishael suspected who Crowley truly was, then conspiring with a demon was an even greater sin. He could not betray himself as such a hypocrite in front of the very people he was trying to wrest from the Nazarene's influence. He would be vilified by those he was trying to save. The Nazarene did not wait to see the reaction of the Pharisees. He bent again to continue drawing in the dirt. This time he drew a sword with a jagged design circling the blade. The flaming sword. He looked up again at Crowley, but this time with a small, cautious smile. The crowd seemed to hold its collective breath as, one by one, the Pharisees turned and walked away, abandoning Crowley to the will of the Son of God. Woman, he said to Crowley when the last Pharisee had left, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Crowley cleared his throat, not sure words would even came out. No man, Lord, he managed, his voice hoarse. Neither do I condemn thee, Go and sin no more. The rope slipped miraculously from Crowley's hands to the ground, though Crowley had done nothing to free himself. Still, Crowley did not stand right away. He had to know the meaning of the Nazarene's intercession. Why? He eked out in such a tiny squeak that none of the crowd at the well could possibly have heard him. A complicated set of emotions seemed to flit across the Nazarene's face before he answered as quietly as Crowley had. Because I love them, he said, and so do you. It was Crowley's turn to feel punched in the solar plexus. He couldn't possibly know. Crowley barely admitted it even to himself, and he was sure as heaven hadn't told anyone else. How could this man, this adversary, know such a damning secret when Crowley himself barely knew it? He had been right to be terrified of the man, with that single sentence, he'd appended Crowley's entire universe. Crowley scrambled to his feet and fled. Thursday before Christmas, 2022 CE let me get this right, the angel said, as the demon slid back into the driver's seat and handed a bag of crisps to his traveling companion before shutting the door. The angel took the crisps with a hum of delight and munched on one before finishing his thought. You are claiming that you were the adulteress that Jesus Christ saved from the Pharisees?
The demon clenched the steering wheel a little tighter than usual as he guided the Bentley out of the petrol station parking area and back to the streets of Nuremberg. Only a couple hours left of lightning speed driving before they reached Budapest. The Bentley hoped the angel's appetite would hold until then. It didn't relish having to stop at each major city to procure snacks. It's not like I joke about something like that. I wouldn't put it past you at all to joke about something like that, the angel countered. But that's not why I asked. I am simply trying to understand. I didn't put it together at the time. It wasn't until after the airbase that I remembered he drew the sword. The more I think about it now, the more it seems like he saved me because he somehow knew I'd help save humanity. The angel sighed, then popped a few more crisps into his mouth before answering. What I would like to understand, actually, has little to do with Christ's motivations, and far more to do with yours. My motivations? My motivations were to survive the encounter. The angel gave the demon a long-suffering look. I rather meant your motivations in this little adventure of tracking the account of it down now. The demon attempted a response, but ended up with nothing more illuminating to show for it than a small hill of broken consonants. Silence descended, and the Bentley took the liberty of filling the space with a collection of alternative rock Christmas covers, the real-life recording of Freddie Mercury singing White Christmas being its favorite, naturally. When they finally arrived at Budapest, it was too late to visit the bookshop, so the Bentley took its passengers to a motor lodge outside the city limits. So sorry, the proprietor said as the Bentley listened through the open doorway. All full up for tonight. May have vacancy tomorrow. Oh, darn, the angel said, snapping his fingers. Are you sure there isn't an open room? Perhaps you might take another look. Nahat, you're right. There is a room open. How did I miss? But one problem is only one bad. The angel smiled at the proprietor conspiratorially. I'm sure we can miracle up another bed from somewhere. No need, angel, the demon interjected as he leaned bonelessly against the front desk. I'll just sleep on the ceiling. The proprietor blinked in seeming confusion, but shook it off quickly and handed them both their keys. Demon and Angel were soon settled into their ground-level room. The curtains were drawn, but for the crack at the far edge where the Angel had opened the window a few inches. The Bentley had parked itself just outside their room, with only a pavement between it and their window so it continued listening to their idle chatter from its own nightly roast. 
You know, it is very apropos of the season for us to struggle to find a room at an inn, the angel said with a wiggle, settling comfortably to sit on the bed, clearly pleased at his own joke. Wouldn't be surprised if you know who hadn't arranged it that way as a prank, Crowley observed from his slouch in the tweed armchair in the corner. Don't be ridiculous. Ridiculous, Crowley, the angel admonished. The Almighty doesn't prank people. Course she does, the demon argued. Couldn't possibly survive eternity in possession of all her marbles without pranking people. I think you're confusing her holiness with yourself, my dear. What do you call an octopus, then? The angel rolled his eyes, taking a book from his satchel and placing it on the nightstand. Then he snapped his fingers again, and his clothes changed instantly into a crisp pajama set with tartan cuffs. Are you sure you'll be all right, dear boy? The angel said after climbing under the covers. I could take the chair since I'll be reading rather than sleeping. Nah, Crowley said, stretching out his legs and crossing them at the ankles. Beds never really work for me anyway. Too flat and boring. The angel hid a smile and picked up his book, opening it with practiced fingers to a bookmarked page. The next morning dawned slate grey and cold, the thread of snow hanging low over the city. The Bentley heard the demon and angel rustling around in their room, so it started its heater running. The demon hated being cold, and the angel deserved to be pampered. The drive to the bookstore was nearly instantaneous compared to the previous day's journey. The angel and demon alighted onto the pavement once the Bentley had screeched to a halt in a previously unavailable spot just outside the shop window. Perhaps you should let me do the talking, my dear, the angel advised as the demon held the door open for him. The shopkeeper is one of my people, after all. You mean he's an angel, the demon said in surprise. I meant a bibliophile, dear. Oh, right. At which point both ethereal and occult entities entered the shop, and the Bentley lost track of them. Not ten minutes later, however, they emerged, the angel's feathers obviously ruffled. As they got in, the demon picked up a thread of conversation, clearly continuing what had been going on inside the shop. All I'm saying is that we might have gotten a bit more useful information from him if you hadn't insulted him. The angel shut his door rather a bit harder than necessary upon seating himself on the passenger's side. He chose to see it as an insult. I was merely helpfully pointing out that his organizational system was deeply flawed. 
How is anyone supposed to find John Donne in the poetry section when he clearly belongs in erotica? Oh, I'm sure he'd have thought it was extremely helpful, the demon said, as he pulled them out into traffic. If you hadn't followed that up with a diatribe about his restoration techniques. What did he expect? He was using polyvinyl acetate on that poor roachhead, for heaven's sake. Imagine! The angels nodded indelicately. Anyone who knows anything about book restoration uses wheat paste. I was generously offering him my proprietary paste recipe. If anyone should be offended by that last exchange, it is I. Well, there's nothing for it. Much as I loathe the idea, we're off to the Vatican next. The Vatican? The Vatican. Surely that's not necessary, is it? The angel complained. Right, so, Angel, my sources say the Apostolic Library had the diary in its possession at some point. Only way to see if they still do is to go there ourselves. The Angel pouted. Surely you, an Angel, are not hesitant to go to the historical seat of power for all of Christendom. The angel picked at one of the buttons on his waistcoat, not answering immediately. I just don't feel comfortable with many of the church's edicts. On what? On love, I suppose. Love? Never mind, the angel said, straightening. If we must go there, we must. Only... Crowley, I do insist that you tell me why we are on this Hail Mary quest. What changed? The demon drove in silence for an interminable moment that turned into two, then three, before finally relenting. It's to do with hell, he said, though he hardly sounded convincing. At least not to the Bentley. How is it to do with hell? Beelzebub's got wind of the account, and if hell gets its hands on it, then I'm toast. The angel pursed his lips in thought, though he looked as doubtful as the Bentley felt. Saturday, 33 CE. Crowley should definitely, probably, almost certainly not have come back. There was a world full of bad ideas out there that he could be diving into. Why had he agreed to this one? Oh, he could blame hell all he wanted. Sure, it was a direct order from Lord Beelzebub himself, and sure, Crowley had botched the last mission badly enough that leadership had been breathing hot, acrid brimstone down his neck for the past six months, and if he didn't stab lively enough to fill his quota of temptations, 
then it would be his Ophelia neck on the chopping block. But if Crowley were being truly honest with himself, he wasn't here because Hell had commanded it. He was here, damn it all to the ninth circle, because he was curious. Woman, a human called Simon, shouted at Crowley, have a care with that urn. Crowley set down the crock of musky-smelling oil on a nearby table, rackety as it was. He'd used odiferous balm as an excuse to enter the house, figuring that anyone throwing a bash for the supported redeemer of man would have servants of dubious origin flitting in and out, barely supervised. And he was right to an extent. He'd gotten past the gates without a second glance. What is your name? Simon asked, eyebrow raised suspiciously. Crowley flailed about for a suitable name for the time period. What were human women calling themselves these days? Fuck. Mary, he said, spitting out the first name that came to him. And then he mentally kicked himself for picking the one female name that seemingly every other woman, even close to the Nazarene, was called. Instead of blending into the background of name choice, he was shoving himself front and center. But luck, or maybe Satan, must have been with him, because Simon didn't so much as bet an eye. Rather, he picked up his slate and chalk and went back to muttering to himself about lentil deliveries as he put it off to hassle some other poor sort. Crowley heaved a sigh of relief, short-lived though it was. For no sooner had Simon vacated the room than the Nazarene himself entered. Crowley had chosen the same get-up as he'd worn back on the Mount of Olives, mostly to see if the men remembered him. Now he regretted that decision. He'd have made the floor swallow him if he'd been able to wiggle out from under that powerful gaze. He was, frankly, surprised that he hadn't withered instantly into his true form from the second the man had laid eyes on him. Mary, was it? The man said quietly. It took Crowley a good minute to realize the man had spoken. Then it took him an entire other minute to realize that the man had spoken to Crowley. Completely out of his depth, Crowley nodded the barest of nods. It wasn't exactly a lie. Or rather, it felt as if the Nazarene was in on it, and therefore it wasn't sinful in the way a lie usually was. You brought the oil, he asked. His expression stayed as calm and impassive as ever, but there was a strain underneath that Crowley thought was new. He'd been sad before, but this was different somehow, as if the oil had more meaning than Crowley knew, as if it were a herald of hard things to come. 
Yes, Lord, Crowley whispered, not knowing if it was the right answer, just that it was the truth. I can take it away again, if you like. The Nazarene huffed a quiet laugh. You would, too, wouldn't you? Would it make us even, your life for mine? The man sighed and looked down, resting his hand on the back of a nearby chair. It was a miracle no one else had bustled into the room by now. They were in the main sitting room, and the sounds of party preparation reverberated all around them. But still, no one breached the periphery. They call you tempter for a reason. Crowley didn't know what to say to that, though it did sound, despite all logic to the contrary, as if the Nazarene, the purported son of God herself, was impressed by Crowley. Do you know what oil it is you brought? The Nazarene continued. Crowley shrugged. It's just a vat of smelly stuff I found lying around at the temple. The man closed his eyes for a moment, as if in some pained acceptance. Then he smiled at Crowley, small and sad. It is spikenard, an embalming oil. You have come to prepare me for death. Crowley shook his head vigorously. Oh, no, 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 that's not me. I don't kill people. I just show them a better time than all this stiff upper lippiness, you know. I just ask questions. Kinda like a little kid with too much time on their hands. I don't... I have no intention of... Be at peace, serpent, the Nazarene said, stilling Crowley's torrent of words by raising gentle hands in a soothing gesture. I do not judge the beast for acting in its nature. You are what you were made. Your choices are something else again, but that will not signify for many centuries yet. What's that supposed to mean? Crowley asked, his desperation to be believed replaced in an instant by his desperation to understand what this man was so clearly trying to tell him without just bloody telling him. It means that your time is yet to come. My time is now. Though you will play your part in it, whether you like it or not. Crowley snorted in aggravation. He hated not knowing. That's why he asked so many bloody questions. Neither of us has to do anything. That's my point. Free will is free will. If they get it, we do too. But the Nazarene just shook his head in quiet denial. It is not time yet for this conversation, but it is time for the Sabbath. Will you stay? 
Crowley swallowed hard. He categorically did not want to. He wanted to run far away, and this time stay far away. Curiosity was overrated. But he found himself nodding, and more to the point, meaning it. He saw the relief in the man's eyes, and he understood it too. Crowley was the only other person in the man's sphere at the moment who truly knew who and what he was, who fully understood it. If Crowley were in his shoes, Crowley would want another person around, friend or enemy, who at least knew him, who at least understood. At that, some spells seemed to have broken, because men and women began streaming through the room, piling the table in the middle of it with steaming plates of delicacies from all over the kingdom. But Crowley barely noticed them, barely noticed the smells of food or unintentionally significant oil. He busied himself lighting lamps and fetching water from the well, and any other menial tasks he could find that usually fell to women, partly to blend in with the surroundings, partly to keep his mind off what the Nazarene had said. He didn't want to think about it. He couldn't not think about it. Plus it all, he never should have come back. As the Nazarene and his disciples sat at the table, breaking bread and speaking of the ministry, Crowley tried to stay well out of the way. For one thing, he didn't want anyone else recognizing him from the incident on the Mount of Olives. For another, he was getting a dodgy feeling about the acolyte Iscariot. The man did not smell right. If Crowley didn't know better, he'd guessed the man to be possessed by a demon. But as far as Crowley knew, he was the only demon assigned to the Nazarene. His anonymity did not last long, though. For about halfway through the meal, Simon looked up from the conversation, caught Crowley's eye, and waved him over. Mary, right? Can you get us another plate of tilapia? Simon asked. Crowley nodded vigorously, keeping his face as hidden as he could behind his hair. But before he could scurry out of the room to the kitchen, Simon stopped him. Oh, take this platter of bones with you, will you? Crowley stumbled, his head hastening to obey, while his feet failed to get the message. Before he could right himself, he'd bumped into the rickety table he'd set the urn of spikenard onto. The urn tilted precariously, and Crowley fumbled, trying valiantly to catch it in time. But in so doing, he merely bobbled the container forward several steps towards the table and before he could do anything to stop it, he watched in horror as the urn tipped all the way over, 
the centrifugal force spraying the embalming oil from the urn directly onto the head of one Jesus of Nazareth, coating him from the very tip of his head down his shoulders, onto his chest and torso. The remainder dripped to the floor. Crowley dropped the urn entirely then, falling to his knees next to the Son of God. He wanted to apologize, almost did apologize several times, but he couldn't seem to get the words past his lips. He couldn't apologize, he realized, because he knew that this was supposed to happen, that the Nazarene had known it would happen, that it was a portent of things to come. And that, though they both had the free will to avoid their destinies, that neither of them intended to. Not in this moment, at least. So Crowley did the only thing he could, given that he had no cloth to sop up the oil. He used his hair not just to clean the Nazarene of the worst of the spilled oil, but to express what he could not say in words, to show in his own way that he understood. But the shocked silence of the others at the table could only last so long. The first to rise and point an accusing finger at Crowley was none other than his carriot, to what purpose is this waste? he raged. It might have sold for more than three hundred shackles and have been given to the poor. Crowley ignored him and the other disciples as they murmured amongst each other. But once again the Nazarene intervened on his behalf. Let her alone, he said, his tone even but firm. She has wrought a good work on me, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. At that, the murmurs around the table stuttered out into wide-eyed silence. She has done what she could. She has come to anoint my body for burying. Then he reached down to Crowley, gently freeing his now-sodden hair from his hand. Crowley could feel the emotion clogging his throat. It wasn't fair. It just wasn't fair. Verily I say unto you, the Nazarene continued, speaking to the others but looking only at Crowley. Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of as a memorial of her. It was like looking at the brilliant radiance of a star in its white-hot infancy. Had Crowley been any ordinary human, had he been any ordinary demon, he would have turned instantly to ash. But Crowley had been a star-maker. He knew how to withstand the exaltation. Even still, he could fear the tears he couldn't control 
running freely down his face. He was so fucked. Friday, Christmas Eve, 2022 CE. The Bentley cooled its tires until nearly dusk in the Risorgimenti Parking Roma parking garage outside of Vatican City. The Bentley didn't ordinarily mind waiting, half its life was waiting, but it enjoyed people watching while it waited and there were always people to watch on the streets of Soho or Mayfair. There were not people to watch in parking garages. The Bentley loathed parking garages. They were boring, smelly and closed in. Even playing a night at the opera on repeat didn't help as much as it usually did. Besides, the Bentley had a feeling that the demon's trip into the belly of the beast wasn't going to go as well as he hoped it would. So the Bentley turned on its headlights and went rogue, rolling out of the parking garage and ignoring the panicked shouts of the lot attendant. Humans really were so persnickety about things like cars having drivers. As long as it wasn't breaking any traffic laws, what did it matter? Circling Vatican City took the better part of half an hour, long enough for the sun to fully set and the Bentley to start to worry when it didn't see the demon or the angel on its third circuit. What if it had missed them? What if they were waiting back at the parking garage, scratching their heads at the Bentley's absence? The Bentley had just made up its mind to loop the next roundabout and head back toward the garage when it saw both angel and demon burst through an unmarked exit along the side wall about 50 yards away. The demon caught sight of the Bentley and zacked sharply in its direction, pumping his arms as he ran, his hand clutched around a leather-bound book. The angel followed suit, Huffing and puffing and clamping his hand to his head to keep his hat on. Not a minute later, a contingent of Vatican guards poured out of the door behind them, shouting and brandishing cudgels. The Bentley threw open its throttle and leapt directly onto the pavement, honking at bystanders to leap out of its way as it barreled towards its colleagues and screeched to a halt in front of them, throwing open its doors. The demon and angel scrambled in, and the Bentley revved its engine, taking off before they'd even settled properly. Then it made a beeline for safety, getting as far out of Rome as quickly as it could. I told you going to the Vatican was a bad idea, the angel said, setting his clothing to rights. Well, how was I supposed to know there was going to be a convention of exorcists? It's Christmas. There should be solemnities of the nativity of the Lord and such nonsense. Not exorcists, for Satan's sake. Well, there were exorcists, and they almost cast you out. They could have holy water, you. 
which is why I jumped behind the conveniently positioned angel standing next to me. You are damned lucky that I pulled myself together enough to distract them with my halo, or you would be a smear on the exquisite tile of St. Peter's Basilica. I am aware of that, thank you. Did you at least manage to procure the book? The angel demanded, his expression set on reproof. I want to know that we got something out of this whole debacle, so that I still feel some measure of satisfaction when Gabriel finds out I showed my halo in front of humans and sends me a cease and desist. The demon held up the slim volume he'd been clutching since he'd raced through the side door. The apostolic librarian was ridiculously suggestible. Barely had to tempt him at all. Yes, well, it's been a fair few centuries since they've encountered a demon, I'm sure. That's not entirely true, the demon admitted. I did get curious around the 18th century, and I might have paid them a visit. Curious about what? the angel said. But the demon blushed and muttered, nothing important, and refused to say any more on the subject. That was before the Bentley's time, so it didn't know for certain what the demon might have been looking for. But it would bet its last luck nut that it had something to do with the angel. Well, let's see it then, the angel said, holding out his hand, which now miraculously sported a white glove. The demon, seeming strangely reluctant, handed the small leather-bound tome to the angel. Placing a pair of round spectacles on his nose, the angel opened the book to the middle. He then ran a careful finger down the spine between pages. Then he flipped a few pages backward, repeated the gesture, and flipped several more pages aft of the center, and ran his finger down the spine again. He continued in this vein for another minute, until he'd paged through the entire book. What the devil are you doing? The angel huffed in exasperation. I'm preserving the binding, Crowley. Really, why bring me on this adventure in the first place if you don't wish me to make use of my skills? Preserving the binding. It's likely been centuries since anyone has opened the book, if it was in the archives, which I suspect it was, given the antiseptic smell. Hermetic sealing always leaves behind a slight odor, you know, and if no one has opened it, then the binding is likely to be very delicate. You don't want the book to crumble into dust after having gone to all this trouble to procure it, do you? Fine, whatever. The angel snapped his fingers, and a small ball of light popped into existence over his left shoulder. Then he flipped to the first page and began reading. He frowned and flipped another page. Then flipped another, and another, 
more quickly than he could possibly have read through them all. Crowley, are you quite sure this is the right book? What do you mean? The band lay in its hurry to leave the last outlying villagers skirting the edges of Rome behind, did not immediately respond to the demon tugging at its steering wheel to pull over. When the demon cranked the wheel more insistently, the band lay finally veered to the right and slowed to a stop on the gravelly shoulder of the road. The demon snatched the book from the angel's hand and leapt out of the driver's seat. He dashed to the front of the Bentley, where he leaned onto the beams of the headlights and yanked off his sunglasses. Then he pulled the book open roughly to the middle. A few seconds later, he slammed it closed again and began shouting curses vociferously to the night sky. The angel got out then as well and joined the demon, placing a calming hand on his shoulder. I take it that it's not the book you were looking for. Exceptionally well spotted, angel, the demon said sarcastically. Blasted moron said it was the closest he could find to a demonic gospel. The demon handed the book back to the angel. It's a fucking medieval fairy tale, not even from the right bloody century. The angel tucked the book on his arm out of the distressed demon's sight. Well, my dear, where to next? The demon groaned, rubbing his eyes with his thumb and forefinger. Jerusalem. He said at last, Satan, bless it. I swore I'd never set foot there again. The angel reached up and gently pulled the demon's hand away from his face. Keeping hold of it as their hands drifted down between them, he said, Perhaps it is time for you to confront whatever happened there. I don't need to confront it. It already happened. It's dead and gone, Angel. It's obviously not gone completely, if you still feel so strongly about avoiding Jerusalem. So much so that you put it after going to Vatican City, of all places. Crowley grumbled, but didn't outright disagree. It seems to me the angel continued, that you may have left some piece of yourself behind. I think it's time you retrieve it, don't you? The demon didn't answer in words, but he squeezed the angel's hand tightly for a moment before letting it go and returning to the car. The angel climbed into the passenger seat and shut the door with a soft click. So long drive, angel, the demon said. I'm sure the Bentley has a plethora of bebop to entertain us with, the angel replied softly. The Bentley, taking the angel's words as a cue, rolled forward again, merging with traffic and flicked on a collection of soft, classical versions of Queen's greatest hits. 
Monday, 33 CE. Another day, another garden. A garden not so very far, in fact, from the original garden, the one with an eastern gate and an apple tree. This garden didn't have apples, though. The trees were gnarled and stumpy. The scent of olives from the nearby oil press hung heavy in the evening air. Almost as heavy as Crowley's blackened stump of a heart. It was Crowley's temptation in that original garden that had led to this garden. This temptation. It was only right that Crowley be here now to play the role. But he hadn't been sent. Not this time. This time he was here for himself. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Crowley ducked behind the nearest tree, blending as best he could into the shadows in a serpent form. He'd beaten them to the garden by only a few minutes. He'd need to find a way to get the Nazarene alone. Or not, apparently, as the man's followers, that wanker Peter and the other random blokes Crowley barely recognized, settled onto a nearby bench, while the man himself wandered farther into the heart of the garden. Crowley followed, circling far enough out as to not disturb any vegetation near the man and give himself away. After a short walk to a circle of olive trees in the center of the grove, the disparaged prophet sank to his knees and folded forward, hence clawing the dirt. Oh, father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Never, though, as I will, but as thou wilt. That's my cue. Crowley shot a quick glance back at the men lounging on the bench. They were speaking softly amongst themselves, but it wouldn't be long before they came looking. Crowley hissed in their direction, and to the last man they drifted into a dead sleep. Meanwhile, to Crowley's immediate right, the redeemer of men cried out again, wordlessly suffering whatever heavenly indignities that she saw fit to punish him with. He slithered forward, just out of reach of the Nazarene. Must you suffer so, king of kings? The Nazarene did not at first respond, merely looked up at Crowley and then down again, as if defeated which stung a bit, if Crawley were honest, though he supposed the man could hardly be expected to welcome him with open arms. Away with thee, demon, he said through clenched teeth. It is my purpose to suffer the sins of man, so that they might return from whence they came. And it is my purpose to tell you that you're full of shit. The Son of God snorted what sounded like a pained but involuntary laugh. 
You would question the divine plan, serpent of Eden. You do not have to do this. Our creator has decreed that I must, he countered, and then groaned again in pain. A rivulet of blood trickled from his nose. Part of the divine plan is the exigency of free will. Free will that we all have. Free will that you can use. I know that, the son of God snarled. I know it. If you will not tell me something I do not already know, then leave me be. Crowley sat back on his coils, recalibrating. He honestly couldn't figure out why just being in excruciating pain wasn't enough for the Nazarene to call the whole thing off. It shouldn't have taken any tempting on Crowley's part at all. The Nazarene staggered to his feet, his limbs shaking from the effort. He stumbled back through the trees towards his sleeping friends. What could you not watch with me one hour? He chastised them, shaking Peter awake with a trembling hand. Peter, to his credit, tried to cast off the miracle-induced sleep. Watch and pray that I enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then the man stumbled back into the grove again, though notably away from Crowley. But, of course, Crowley followed. He hadn't come all this way to give up that easily. You don't know what you're missing, Crowley said, as the Nazarene fell once again to his knees. If this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Oh, Father, if this cup may not pass, may not pass. He was truly writhing now in obvious distress. Crowley had never seen anything like it outside of hell. Sure, humans experience their fair share of agony on the mortal plane, but this man was bleeding from every paw. You've ever only seen Judea. There's a whole world out there. You call that puddle in Galilee a sea? The Mediterranean an ocean? Wait till you lay ice on the Pacific. If this cup may not pass... They will be done. Are you listening to me? Falling apart, man. The Nazarene did not answer. He just lay curled in the dirt, weeping silently, his chitin blood-soaked and filthy. Crowley didn't owe this man anything. They were enemies of a sort. Yet the man had defended him helped him, and not just out of the goodness of his heart. He'd saved him because he saw something of value in Crowley, something worthy, something no one else had ever seen or ever wanted to see. 
And Crowley would not answer that with apathy, with an, oh well, I tried. Guess it's time to give in and head back to the factory. No. Instead, he reared up, hood flaring. He compelled the Nazarene to look at him, to meet his implacable yellow gaze. And he showed him. He showed him the vast expanse of the Pacific Ocean, the towering peak of Machu Picchu, the roiling cauldron of Mauna Loa, the sinuous grandeur of Wan Li Chang Chang, the thundering falls of Mosi Tunia. Crowley showed him all the kingdoms of the world, hoping like hell that something would tempt the man to choose life, to choose himself. But the Nazarene, after all that, simply closed his eyes and bowed his head. Defeated, Crowley morphed back into Mary's shape. Save yourself, he said, huddling in the dirt next to the exhausted and still bleeding prophet. You don't deserve this. Maybe the rest of us do, but not you. The saviour stirred at that, reaching out and clasping Crowley's fingers. I do this so that what ye have done is not in vain. Crowley gasped and shuddered, a sliver of the Nazarene's agony creeping into him. I do this so that what ye will do becomes possible. How do you know what... I will do, Crowley croaked. I can choose whatever I want. I do not have knowledge, the Nazarene wheezed. I have faith. I won't choose suffering. Not for you, not for anybody. Your sacrifice is not the same as mine. Why do we have to sacrifice anything? The prophet winced at an invisible pang that Crowley nevertheless felt through their connection. Always so many questions, he whispered on a hitched breath. Then he withdrew his hand from Crowley's and the pain receded with him. Numbness crept in with the absence. If this cup may not Pass, the prophet continued, curling in on himself. If this cup may not pass, except I drink of it, thy will be done. Crowley squeezed his eyes shut. He didn't want to behold any more, but he didn't want to leave the man either. The idea of leaving anyone alone in the midst of such anguish seemed a worse sin than falling. So Crowley stayed and listened and bore witness. And when the dark hour finally passed and the prophet lay panting and weak, Crowley crawled back into the shadows from whence he came, too gutted and spent to do anything when the traitor came for the Nazarene.
Saturday, Christmas Day, 2022. The Bentley flew north, faster than it had ever traveled before, curving along the coastline past Venice, skirting quickly through Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia and Bulgaria. By morning on Christmas Day, they were nearly halfway through Turkey. So that's what you meant then, the angel said thoughtfully, after a long stretch of silence between Istanbul and Ankara. About all the kingdoms of the world, when you saw me at the crucifixion. The demon didn't answer, just tensed still farther. If he tensed any more, he might crush himself into diamond. You said it was because he was a carpenter and that his travel opportunities seemed rather limited, the angel continued. Why in heaven didn't you tell me what really happened? Why did you make it sound like something you had done for a lark? The demon shifted uncomfortably. Not from the Bentley seats, mind you. The buttery leather upholstery pulled tight across sumptuously cushioned coils, did nothing but gently cut occupants' derrieres while soaking up any extraneous vibrations that the shock absorbers on the wheels may have missed. I didn't know you, Angel. Not really, the demon admitted. That was well before the arrangement. I didn't know who I could trust. The angel blew out a breath he'd been holding and nodded. I suppose that makes sense. Though I do wish you'd told me, dear boy. I may not have resisted your offer when you first proposed it in Carnion. The Bentley turned down the heat. The desert was still fairly chill, but it grew ever warmer the further south they drove. It was glad they'd left the snowy mountain passes of Bulgaria behind. They'd be in Jerusalem by midday at this rate. Didn't really know I was going to propose it until it came out of my mouth, but... The demon trailed off, tapping his fingers on the steering wheel nervously. But, the angel prodded, but it would never have even occurred to me if it weren't for... If it weren't for him, the angel finished. For how he made you feel seen and accepted, even though you were enemies? The demon nodded, biting his lap. The angel folded his hands in his lap. Well, I'm glad of it then, he said softly, even if it was a difficult experience. The demon didn't respond immediately, but when he did, he said, Me too. A few more hours whisked by in silence, and before the sonorous call to the afternoon prayer, the Bentley rolled to a somewhat confused stop near the foot of the Mount of Olives. This 
couldn't really be where the demon wanted to go, could it? This broken driveway, leading to a small, drab, square hovel, with a cardboard sign advertising something and lettering the Bentley didn't recognize? One or two pilgrims passed by on their way up the ascent to famous religious sites that they likely hoped would somehow affirm their faith. But the well-worn paths, flush with tourists, were far from where they were. Are you sure this is the right place, dear? The angel asked, echoing the Bentley's doubts. I'd recognize it with my eyes closed, angel, the demon answered, leaving the Bentley. The angel followed, and the Bentley rolled forward a few more feet to better hear what was said as they approached the hovel's front door. The angel rapped smartly on the frail-seeming wooden door. A minute or so later, an older gent in his seventies or so pulled open the door and greeted them. Here for tour? he asked in heavily accented English. Before they could respond, he grabbed a burlap sack at the side of the door and pushed past them in the direction of the cardboard sign. My good man, the angel started, following in the bustling man's wake. We simply have a question. About tomb of Shemaya, of course. We go, for just ten shekels. I take you on personal tour, with candle included. That's not, the demon started. I got tomb, like my father before me, and his before him. Where from? UK, I think, or America. The celestial firmament, the angel answered with a beatific smile. The man raised an eyebrow in a comically befuddled expression, but let the angel's answer go without comment. This way, special holy sight, only a few have seen. Stop, the demon commanded, rubbing off his glasses to show the sulfuric yellow of his irises blown white to fill every millimeter of sclera, his pupils slitted in an unmistakable mark of his demonic nature as he strode towards the man. I have come for the book. The ground beneath the Bentley's tires rumbled from the raw power of the demon's voice. The book, the man quiet, his knees buckling in fear as he dropped the burlap sack. The book, the demon repeated, unrelenting. Really, my dear, you're frightening the poor man half to death, the angel said, stepping calmly around the demon and making his way to the old man. He stopped to put a hand on the man's bowed shoulders. Then he said, Don't mind him. He's just cranky from a long drive. I'm sure your tomb is absolutely lovely. But the thing is, we simply don't have time at the moment to explore it as much as we would like to. We are on an errand of some importance, you see. 
Why don't you come with me and have a seat while we explain? Why the angel chattered at the man, he led him gently toward the driver's side door of the Bentley. Without a glance at the demon, the angel opened the Bentley's door and guided the old man to sit sideways on the seat, feet on the ground with the door hanging open. Good grief! The Bentley hoped the interview wouldn't last long. All it needed was to get dust all over its floorboards. Now then, what my dear grouchy friend was trying to say, the angel began, with the counterpoint of the demon's indignant spluttering in the background, is that he once had in his possession a book, a diary of sorts, from back in the days of the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. He gave it to an ancestor, I mean, a family member of yours, quite some time ago now. Do you happen to know which book we are referring to? The man ignored the angel and kept his eyes firmly on the demon. He hadn't stopped trembling, despite the angel's overly solicitous demeanor. He must have thought he was going to get eaten. The angel hummed and tried again. It's a thin volume, bound in brown leather, I believe. Here the angel cast a questioning glance over his shoulder at the demon, who nodded in confirmation. Does that sound at all familiar? The man licked his lips nervously, his white moustache twitching with the movement. I heard tales of such a book, but I have not seen. You are the last living descendant of Judas Iscariot, are you not? The demon demanded. If the man had been trembling before, he was shaking fit to break now. We do not speak that name. You are the last, though, the demon insisted. The man nodded. Our line, cursed with carrying word of lost apostle. The what? Fucking hell. The demon pinched the bridge of his nose, as if warding off a headache. Listen, I need that book. Just toddle off to wherever it is, you've got it stashed, which better not be in that damn smelly cave, by the way. I do not have, the man said, his voice barely more than a squeak. The ground shook again, though the demon kept from voicing his frustration this time. The twisted scrub of a tree and the postage stamp of a front yard creaked in protest. Dear, the angel said, as was a whipcrack of reproof. We will not get anything at all if you keep carrying on like a spoiled child. Like a... The demon stared, thunderstruck at the angel. Are you serious? The angel pursed his lips in disapproval. Inevitably, the demon relented, collapsing to his bum in the dusty driveway. Then he gestured for the angel to continue. 
Turning back to the old man, the angel said, Do you perchance know what happened to it? The man shrugged helplessly. Only story passed on. No book, not for generations. The demon buried his face in his hands, groaning again. It's gone, angel. This was my last hope. The angel patted the old man's shoulder comfortingly and said, You are very tired, my dear. Perhaps you should go have a nap, and when you wake, you won't remember this strange little encounter, will you? The man nodded as if on autopilot. Then he got to his feet and walked straight past the demon and into his house, shutting the door behind him. The angel turned to the demon, offering his hand. There's always hope, darling. The demon took it and levered himself up to standing. Now it is time for me to take you someplace that might shed some light on our little mystery. What is that supposed to mean? But the angel didn't answer simply got back into the Bentley and directed the demon where to drive, as if Jerusalem were as familiar to him as somehow. They pulled up at last outside the church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Bentley cut its engine as the angel and demon got out. Why'd you bring me here? the demon asked. It's not just a church, it's the holiest church on earth. My feet wouldn't be the only bits of me scorched if I went in there. The angel gave him a smug look. Oh, I don't know. Look, the demon shouted, hopping about like a canary with vertigo. Why are my feet tingling? Relax. I've just put a couple of ethereal booties on you. Should be just fine trapsing about in a small shrine for a few minutes. Booties, the demon said flatly. Booties, the angel agreed with a smirk. The demon sighed heavily in exasperation. Fine. Then he waved for the angel to precede him. Once they entered the gates, the Bentley lost visual track of them, but it flipped on its radio, set the frequency to demon, and listened in on their conversation as they walked through the holy site. The Bentley didn't eavesdrop often. It was unbecoming, and frankly, often not that interesting. But today was different. The Bentley needed to be on alert if anything untoward were to happen. Listen, Angel, this isn't going to work. I can't imagine what you mean, the Angel answered, sounding a little disingenuous. I know where we are. Just because the city's changed doesn't mean this place. The energy here is any different. You feel it, then? The angel asked. Course. Hard not to. Crucifixion's an ugly one. 
I believe that was one of ours. Not that, the angel said impatiently. The love. Can't you feel the love? The demon didn't say anything for almost a minute. But then he answered, Maybe a little, but I don't think it's coming from the tomb or the church. The angel cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, I... that is... anyway, it's all around us. I guess you'll just have to take my word for it. I believe you, the demon said, though he didn't sound particularly cheered by the revelation. But if you thought I'd be able to feel it, that I'd feel closer to him somehow, and that would cheer me up, then it's not going to work. We should just go home. Just indulge me for a few more moments, will you? It's been quite some time since I was last here. All right. Silence fell between them for a bit, as the sounds of shuffling feet and the quiet murmurs of other pilgrims drifted out of the Bentley's speakers. I did wonder about something, the angel said at last. Really? What's that? The demon said, sounding bored or distracted, or both at once. It was sometimes hard to tell which it was with him. Why did you write it all down in the first place? Why bother if you never meant to proclaim his truth to the world? Seems like it would be more trouble than it was worth. It has been more trouble, obviously. The demon paused, lightly gathering his thoughts for a more cogent response. I guess I didn't want to forget. It was the last real tie I'd ever have to heaven, and the last time anyone ever cared about me. And then those idiots in Rome went and bastardized what little remained of the actual eyewitness accounts, throwing out perfectly legitimate primary sources to further their own agenda. I couldn't get it out of my head until I finally wrote it all down myself. I suppose you can't exactly be the gift of knowledge to humanity and then let something that catastrophically inaccurate go unanswered. The demon made noises of agreement that, again, sounded distracted. As if he was thinking very hard about the past, or maybe thinking very hard about not thinking about it. After a few minutes more of silence, the angel said, Why now, Crowley? Why is it so important to find the gospel now? The demon stirred from whatever morose navel-gazing he was embroiled in. I told you, hell... Oh, fiddlesticks! That's not the real reason. I want the truth, please. The Bentley could hear the demon grinding his mullahs even through its tinny speakers. Just 
Tell me, for heaven's sake. All right. Look, it's just... I can feel it stirring again. The humans are so at war with themselves. Partly it's our fault. My fault, really. For not telling the truth sooner. I guess I just wanted to set the record straight before they tear themselves apart. This time the angel fell silent. When he spoke again, he said, There, was that so hard? But the tremble in his voice belied his nonchalant remark. I didn't want to involve you, but I thought you could maybe help me find the book, and I was right. You helped at the Vatican. You would have helped with a tour guide if he'd actually had the book. I knew it was a long shot, but someone must have it in a private collection. Oh, it's been destroyed. Why didn't you want to involve me? The angel asked. I was afraid you'd look at me differently. Judge me for not doing something, for not changing sooner. Oh, my dear, is that why you've been avoiding me? The demon didn't answer, but he didn't have to. They all knew it was true. A few minutes later, the demon and angel left the church and approached the Bentley, who instantly shut off the radio. He didn't think the demon would care, but better safe than sorry. Just before they reached the Bentley, though, the angel reached out a hand and stopped the demon. Come on, angel, the demon protested, sounding more tired and forlorn than the Bentley had ever hurt him. You can keep poking and prodding at me in the car. It's a long way back to London. Just one more thing, dear. The angel took a breath, as if gearing himself up for something. Then he slowly opened his satchel and pulled out a small book, bound in brown leather with no markings on the cover and he handed it to the demon. He wasn't the last person, you know, the angel continued, to care about you, I mean. The demon shook as he clutched the book. You had it this whole time. Where did you get it? The angel winced. I got it from my bookshop. This satchel is connected to every volume in my collection. I can pull any book I want from wherever I am in the world. Your collection. You knew about it. You've read it. And you didn't tell me. Yes, well, uh, the angel said, tugging at his collar. I do apologize for that, dear boy, but at the time I procured it, we were mortal enemies, and I chalked it up to researching my adversary. If you had it, 
What was the entire point of this blasted road trip then? First of all, this road trip was your idea. You pitched me into the car without even telling me what it was about. And then when I found out, I wasn't sure why you wanted the book. I was afraid you might try to destroy it. It was mine to destroy, if that's what I'd wanted, Angel, the demon argued, running his hand through his hair in agitation. I know that, and I'd have given it to you regardless of your reason, but I wanted to know why, and you wouldn't tell me, not till just now. How long have you known about it? The demon said, too shaking himself to shake anything else. I found it in the 14th century, a couple centuries after you first proposed the arrangement, and I turned you down. The 14th? But that's when we... Yes, the angel agreed. Vienna when we first broke our terms. Is that why you changed your mind? The angel sighed, as if relieved of a burden he'd been carrying for some time. Your experience here led to your coming up with the idea for the arrangement in the first place, and your writings about it convinced me that it might be worth a try. And... It was. And it was. They both stood there for so long, staring at each other, that the Bentley was forced to beep at them to get them moving. Daylight was quickly fading, and the Bentley was itching to get back to familiar territory. It had had enough of travels for a while at least, and it wanted the creature comforts of its own garage and a piping hot oil change to soothe its gears. As they left Jerusalem behind, the angel said, I only have one other question, actually. I find that hard to believe, but all right. What is it, then? The angel's smile turned decidedly roguish. What was it that you were so curious about that you went all the way from London to Vatican City? Sorry, what? the demon asked, clearly feigning ignorance to put off answering. I have no idea what you mean. In the 18th, you said you got curious about something. What was it? The demon stuttered and blushed actually blushed before answering with a muttered, Can't remember. Must not have been important. The angel smiled again and let it go. Though he hummed softly along with the Bentley's variety of covers for the song Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy all the way back to London. The End